It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national sports topic or two if something's big. we got a gambling segment and, of course, my favorite segment of the, of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. And you can do it by going to Twitter and hashtag ask skinny anything. Um, Rick, about, uh, oh, I don't know, midway through Saturday, I had so many red X's on my bracket. I just tossed it to the side. I'm in a couple of pools. I'm still alive in one. I think you were in the same pool that I was in where we pick um, we pick seven players and, and you go head to head and you advance bracket style. And I have advanced to the Sweet 16, so I have I have won my money back. In, in that pool, but I'm crawling on my belly with two players left where the guy that I'm going against has four players left. Um, it's been an unmitigated disaster, but you know what? God love you ESPN for the second chance, sweet 16 bracket and Jay Morrison saying to you for your second chance, sweet 16 pick seven pool. I'm all about it. That's right. I saw Jay's email come across and I was like, like, man, thank God. Thank God. There's a little more action coming into this weekend. And more than anything though, you know, because I, I'm I don't really care about brackets so much, things like that. I, I like betting the games. So that's the nice thing about betting the games is you're never out of it. You're just you're looking towards the next line or the next <laughs> matchup. And I like that part of it, but there is this aspect that we do where we give takes on public forums. Right, right. And I couldn't have given out any worse takes than I did last <laughs> week. So I've just been getting crushed no, you know, ever since the tournament started. And you know what's funny about that? I actually, from a from a betting perspective, did did okay. I'm above water, and, and I do a there's a free game that I, I play with some friends, and, and in this case, I literally picked every side in total for every game. And I, I thought after day one because I knew what my bracket looked like, uh, and I knew I'd won a little bit gamble, but I went, you know, I, I wonder how I did that. I looked I, that first day. I was I was um, out of 32 possible plays sides and totals. I was I was 21 10 and one. <laughs> I thought. Whoa, wait a minute. I wish I'd have really done it that way to begin with. So right. yeah, well, you're right. While my bracket is busted and, and the public takes are, are done, when it came to, to putting numbers and crunching numbers, I guess I did better than I thought. Uh, you know, I'm not complaining either. I, I did the, the math uh, yesterday, actually, and I am exactly, I think, $21.16 up on the tournament total. So we'll take it. I mean, if you're breaking even and uh, betting on the tournament, you're having a great month basically. yeah and I, and I will say i'm in another uh, uh pick em where we do pick every game against the spread um just the spread itself not the not the total and i didn't do great there i was 20 i'm 20 and 20 so far through the through where we're our not 24 and 24 i'm 500 whatever it is um but there are a couple guys that have won uh, you know 30 plus games they're hitting at a 60 65 clip and it's more i think there's 15 guys in the pool and six or seven of them hit it to that clip that's pretty darn good that's, yeah the pros, the pros would be impressed by that. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more college basketball NCAA tournament here as the show goes on, but let's start on the NFL side of things. You told us last week when we were talking about it, and I was wringing my hands that you promise the Bengals will go get an offensive tackle that'll be better than Bobby Hart. And lo and behold, the Bengals got a tackle better than Bobby Hart. The team signed former Viking and NFL vet Riley Reef to a one-year $7.5 million deal. They've also signed defensive back Eli Apple and safety Ricardo Allen on the other side of the ball to go with their haul that we talked about last week. Skinny, give me a word to describe the Bengals free agency haul so far. Effective. I think I think the pick, they've done they've been effective in what they've done. And I know there's still a lot of people wringing their hands about them not signing a guard 
And what did I tell you last week? I told you the same thing. You, you don't have to like them. I'm just telling you what they like. They like Xavier Suofilo and Quentin Spain. So what else did they just do this week? Resign Quentin Spain. And I know there's people that, well, Trey Turner's out there. Go look at the year Trey Turner had last year, man. And, and the money that Trey Turner would have cost versus what Quentin Spain cost, which means you're able to do some other things. Like the uh, Apple signing doesn't move the needle because he's been a troubled guy and he's been a, a hit or miss guy. But listen, dude was basically out of football to some degree. He got hurt last year in Carolina. Um, and only played a couple games, and they released him because he just wasn't effective. But this is a former first-round pick from not too long ago that you got Top on the 10. cheap. Right, that you got on the cheap, and you're not asking him to come in and be a, a starter or be your shutdown. Right now on the roster, Rick, he's probably your fourth or fifth corner. And, and if he still has something in the tank, then, boy, that's a, that's a, good, that's a great signing. It's kind of a, a, a risk-reward one for you, and really not a lot of risk. And the same yeah, for Ricardo Allen. Yeah, and Ricardo Allen is a, is a very – Solid safety, and you're not asking him to be a starter. You got Von Bell and you've got Jesse Bates. He's probably a better coverage safety than Von Bell. Maybe it becomes a rotation of Von's your, your first and second down safety. Maybe Von walks into the box and plays kind of a linebacker in, in nickel situations, and Ricardo Allen comes and fits that bill. He re, he replaces Sean Williams. It Sean cost you, you know, last year $4.6 million to take 8% of defensive snaps and be basically a special teams captain. And, and that's all well and good, but that's an expensive special teams captain to have. So uh, I, some of this, and you made the point last week, and I think your point is a right one, but I, I think there's a little bump to it where you said, well, all they've effectively done is replace what they lost. And, and there is some truth to that. Um, you know, William Jackson gone, Carl Lawson gone, Trey Hendrickson in, um, and I'm drawing a complete blank on the corner. They signed like, Oh, oh uh, Wuzier. Yeah. and yeah. Mike Hilton in and Mike Hilton replaces Mackenzie Alexander as a slot guy. And I think I said last week, I don't think Wuzier or Mike Hilton are A's. And I'm not even sure that will is an A. So I think you've traded a B in will Jackson and a C in Mackenzie Alexander for two B's. I think I'll take that. I'm good with that. In Trey Hendrickson is the, it's one of those. It's going to be interesting for both because was last year the one-off for him or is that the light bulb? And is Carl Lawson the guy that, hey, he's going to turn all those those pressures he has that that everybody who does analytics is, is fawning over and foaming at the mouth is he can convert those into sacks. And so that's kind of going to be interesting to play out. But at least you didn't take a step backwards there. And then, as you mentioned, you did. You've got a bona fide starting NFL caliber tackle in Riley Reef. It is only a one-year deal. And I think what it's done, the one place they really haven't hit and I think they flirted a little bit with a couple of guys. I still didn't believe that they flirted hard with Kenny Galladay. The one place you didn't hit in free agency is wide receiver. But you know what you can do really early in the draft? You can get your guy that may be better than any of those free agents on the market on a rookie contract. I think I'm good with what they've done. Yeah, the, the not getting a wide receiver thing doesn't bother me at all, whether they address that in the draft or they say, we think we've got enough right now in terms of weapons. I can live with that. The one thing I couldn't live with is them not upgrading the offensive sure. line. So from last week when we talked about to this week, it's a totally different conversation in my mind. Riley Reef is exactly the type of guy I was expecting them to get. Now, he's not a stud. He's not some monster uh, cornerstone left tackle that you're you're building your offensive line around going forward. In fact, he looks kind of like a stopgap guy for them and as, and I think as he things is. are right now, but that's fine. That's ex like, realistically, that's who they were going to get all along. They were probably never going to get, and I mean, even who was the best guy out there? Joe Tooney? I think he's solid. Well, he's just a guard. I mean, yeah, yeah and, he, well, and he's right. a, side, right. he's he's a guard. side player. So yeah, yeah, and um, Listen, I, I do think guards need to be valued more than they've been valued before. But 
you know, did you want to just get Joe Tooney and one other guy and be done with it? Or did you want to, you know, spend your money wisely? And that's the thing, you know, there's the, the, the narrative of the Bengals being cheap. And I've always told people they're not cheap. I can argue, I can take your argument that they don't know what they're doing a lot of times. That part's fair. They're not cheap. They do a lot, really good job of re-signing their own. Um, they do a really good job of spending almost up to the cap. And yes, they usually save some money, maybe eight to 10 mil. And you know what that's usually used for? That's usually used for extending some contracts. And this year, they got two guys they want to extend. They want to extend Jesse Bates. They want to extend Sam Hubbard. That's going to cost you some money, especially with Jesse Bates. So you better have a little money left over in the tank. And, and they do. I, I think they're going to make a run at re-signing both of those guys, extending both of those. So you, you've, I think you've done some good things. And listen, I, I don't think it, it, you know, getting Riley Reef doesn't stop you. If you're in the draft Penny Sewell camp, that's fine. You know, maybe Penny Sewell plays guard as a rookie and then kicks out the tackle and, and, and proves well enough that he played so well at guard that he can play tackle, or maybe he becomes a third tackle as a rookie. And if something gets hurt, you, you got your fifth overall pick to, to plug in. It also gives you the luxury of sitting there at five and people on the clock, knowing that the last quarterback on the board is there and they need him for them to trade with you. You go backwards, get an extra first round pick and get a tackle and a wide receiver. I mean, you've you got a lot of flexibility now because you, to their credit, they haven't pigeonholed themselves of, Oh my God, we need a tackle. And yeah, I don't know if we like Penny Sewell or not. Well, we got to take him. They haven't, they haven't pigeonholed themselves that way. I would say if I, if I were going to give my one word to describe the, the free agency period so far, it would be expected. When they said they were going to not sit on their hands and that they were going to protect Joe this offseason, this is kind of what I expected, if we're being honest. Like you have these visions of, oh, they're really going to go out and make a splash and and get some dominant guy at left tackle, or they're going to really add a, a stud linebacker or some type of pass rusher on the defensive side on the edge that that's going to be a difference maker. That's what you want to think when you head into the free agency period and you're thinking about your team. But ultimately this is what I had in mind was something like this. You'll replace most of the guys you lost. Maybe you'll get some more depth on the defensive side and you'll make sure that your offensive line is better. They have at least done that. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not super excited about what they've done so far, but they've done enough to where I'm open-minded about the, the path they've laid out heading into the draft. And like you said, they, they've got some options here. I'm fine if they draft Panay Sewell. I think that's a good idea to, to continue to upgrade this offensive line, especially since Reef is just on a one-year deal. I also am interested in the idea of taking a, a Jamar Chase or trading back and getting a Kyle Pitts and, and something else. I, I think all of those are viable options now at this point because they've at least done enough to take care of the glaring holes that they had to sure up in free agency. Yeah, and, and I think the, the splash player too. Look, I, it's been interesting what New England has done and we'll see if it works. But I think a lot of times when, when you're making that splash signing in free agency, it's because you are a piece, maybe a couple away. The Bengals are still trying to retool this. I mean, look, they've won six games in two years. You got holes in a lot of places when you've won six games in two years. You're not a piece or two away. You're maybe a year or two away. And so maybe this is the start of you know, maybe the last couple of off seasons. Cause last year they, they did a, you know, they, unfortunately guys got hurt, but they spent some money in free agency to, to, upgraded corner to upgraded defensive tackle um, and got Josh Bynes on the cheap. And he, he is just a guy, but he came in and played pretty well for, uh, for a veteran journeyman. So yeah, if, if you're a piece or two away, I'm good with the splash signing. Then if you're not, you need to upgrade a bunch of different spots on your roster and keep building, keep building. You can't, you can't then take an off season off and, and I'll give them credit. The last two years they've been 
and I think you would agree with this, far more active in free agency. And I think it's because they realize the fan base is fed up with them at times sitting on their hands. And so they've responded in kind. And um, now we'll see what see what the, the, the boy genius can do with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that to an extent. But I, I also feel like in the NFL, where parity is so high and a lot of these guys seem fairly equal things considered and it's dependent on you know what's around them and what type of situation and who's the coach and everything like that i actually think the difference the 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 way you become a good team is by getting the difference makers i think a lot of guys are interchangeable in this league and the the things that matter are the difference makers playing next to them that make them better so i would push back I don't think you can just keep getting the status quo and saying, hey, we, we've got so many holes that we just got to well, get replacement level guys. No, the way you shore up those holes is by saying, now we've got a stud at one of those spots. Now well, we've got it, a it, difference it, maker at one of those spots. Yeah, and, that, and that's a fair point. But I think you when you've missed as badly as they've missed in the draft the last few years, you, you, you almost got to plug the holes that you didn't fill through the draft. I think that's the unfortunate part of where they've been. These drafts have been so bad that all they are doing at the moment is plugging holes. And then you're hoping the, these next few, I mean, last year's draft, it, it wasn't hard to hit on your first two picks, but they did hit home runs on their first two picks. That's a starting point. We still don't know completely about the third and fourth round linebackers yet, but you know, I, I, I got a feeling one of them is going to emerge as a starter alongside Jermaine Pratt. So that, that that's at least good. So I, I think the unfortunate part is the drafts have just been so bad that it left them with the glaring holes that we're talking about. And it wasn't just a player or two away. It was, we need to get some competent NFL players in here, period. I, I, and I don't disagree with that. I think that was the the place they found themselves in, but I don't know. I just think about the, the Packers and the way they've operated their organization the last several years, and they have not put enough around Aaron Rodgers. They have had glaring holes at time, but when you have, a franchise quarterback that's as talented as anyone in the NFL. Sometimes you just need that one more or two sure. more guys around them to be the difference maker. But the Bengals and, and aren't there chance. yet. They're not there yet. And you might be right, but I would I would just push back on that slightly of they don't need to find difference makers because I think that's exactly what they need to figure out in the next year or two because you don't have forever with Joe Burrow on this rookie contract. You got to find difference makers before the next couple years are up. So we'll, we'll see. I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying, though. They did have more glaring holes than most teams typically would. Yep. Uh, the last little point I wanted to add on about the free agency thing is how much do you care? How much stock do you put into this? Joe Burrow is the coolest guy in the NFL and the greatest recruiter in sports history. I mean, how else are they going to spin it, right? And I think, I think there's some I, tr- I, I think do there's, think there's some juice there. Like, no, I, 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 I more I, legitimate I, than most of these things, right? I do too, because th- th- this narrative has started from him back in his college years, right? right. I mean, th- that's where the narrative began, and and I think I told you this, and and to me, a lot of times I roll my eyes at a lot of Zoom press conference interviews with guys because there's not very much interesting that comes out of it, but it wasn't just one or two guys that went out of their way to talk about Joe Burrow. And yeah, there was a lot of pointed questions asked all year last year about Joe and his leadership and all of those things, but there wasn't one guy that balked at, at how much they thought of him as a leader, a player, his ability, all of those things. And it was on both sides of the ball. And, and listen, I, I wasn't expecting somebody to want to go, this guy's a clown. You got, no, I wasn't expecting that, but the, the effusiveness of the praise, um, was so universal. It was almost like they were handed a company line and you know, those guys, they're not, they may, they may talk in cliches and they may not give you much interesting, but they're not towing a company line. Um, I, I think all these guys spoke from what they really believed, what they saw, what they knew was this guy's got some juice. This guy's got an it factor to him. And, and I think it, 
it proved itself out with with some Jeff Ruby stakes. The Mike Hilton interview, the press conference when he got introduced was the one that really stood out to me. I mean, you're talking about a guy that came from the Steelers, right? And he was basically saying, yeah, I mean, as soon as they had Joe Burrow and I realized he was that guy, I was interested in the Bengals. I mean, that's one. That's what a franchise quarterback does. That is exactly the way everyone feels about this league is if you have that type of guy, you have a chance. You have a legitimate chance. And the Bengals now have that guy, or at least everyone seems to believe they do. And then the other thing about Joe Burrow that I'll give him a ton of credit for is he did that whole hunger speech thing uh, when the Heisman opportunity came up. He really used his platform well there. And then as soon as all the the social justice stuff happened and we we had the, the Black Lives Matter movements and everything going on in our country, he was really poignant and well-spoken and stepped up and said things that were meaningful, but not cliche or just like, okay, who's the weird white guy th- that thinks he needs to get up and say something right now? It was genuine, like, I'm here for you. I want to be next to my teammates and my brothers type stuff. I think that went a long way towards gaining respect in an NFL locker room. Sure. And he really proved his maturity in those moments with his platform. So, yeah. I mean, kudos to him for kind of buying this credibility, I think. Yeah. And then you have to back it up with performance. And what right. did he do? He backed it up with performance. Yeah. He looked like the real deal. Again, I mean, to a certain extent, I think the jury is out on him a little bit, but we saw a ton from him last year as a rookie sure. for this to feel legitimate. I don't think anyone's like being over the top about Joe Burrow right now. Yeah, dude, I, I'm not putting him in Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers class, but right. old boy for a rookie coming in with no offseason and, and not a lot around him and, and never made an excuse, never made an excuse. Um, no, I, 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 I think last year we're going to look back and realize how understated that rookie season was for that guy. Uh, let's move on to some spring training talk. The Reds are now 6-16 six and 16 in the Cactus League, and opening day is exactly one week away from today as we record this on Thursday morning, which, by the way, the new Dora – Cups went into play <laughs> and, down not at the Do- bank, so. and not Dora the Explorer cups. These no. are these are the real. You can walk around like you're in uh, like you're Mardi Gras. Yeah, permanently. It's it's for good now. 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. We can just walk around and drink at the banks. Out- I'll, I'll, I'll be frank. Great. I think it's genius. I, it's I, I, I think I think it's so easy. Genius. It's like, and, why and I, did we need a pandemic to get this going? But it's but it, it should have been going. This is a great call. And I will say, um, I, I wish I could remember who the spokesman was, spokesperson. It was a woman who uh, was talking about this. And, and that's where there is some responsibility that goes with this. Like, you can't take the cups to Smale Riverfront Park. They're trying to keep it out of family areas. That's fine. Just if everybody just plays nice with this, it is going to be awesome. I mean, yes. if anybody's been to the French Quarter, the only thing I can remember about the French Quarter is filling my cup with a hurricane, walking around people watching, making the full circle, spending about 45 minutes to an hour doing that and getting back to my hurricane spot and doing it again. And it's a, it's just fabulous. Yeah. If you've ever been down to the opening day or any other type of celebrations like that, where they're right on the banks and everyone's there walking around drinking, it's always awesome. You get a decent day of weather and it's a great time. So anyway, that's a, that's a tangent, but I am no, excited I'm, about I'm that. with you. I'm with you. We've spent all spring training talking about the shortstop position. So, Skinny, I'll just ask you simply, aside from the shortstop position, what's one other red storyline that you're focused on heading into opening day? I, I guess the, how the bullpen sorts itself out. Um, I, there's a lot of, you know, glowing praise for for what's shaping up to be the back of the bullpen with Amir Garrett and, and Lucas Sims. And um, I think TJ Anton, will, will, he's not going to probably be in the rotation, but I, I love the way he's thrown the ball so far this spring. I, I think it's that because I, I think a lot of times – everybody looks at just the closer and that's not baseball anymore. You better, you better have 
multiple arms back there that can get you through the last nine outs. And I think they have that. And I think they have the potential to be really good back there. And I think I've said that I thought they did a really good job in the off season of going out and finding a bunch of veterans who have had a little chink in the armor here or there arm issue, whatever it may be. And they all do at some point and just taking a bunch and kind of throwing it against the wall and finding out, all right, who's good enough to still stick knowing that, Hey, we still think we've got a premier arm in Amir Garrett and a premier arm in Lucas Sims. And, and I was, I'm a huge TJ Anton fan. I, I, I just love the way the guy threw the ball last year. And I do think eventually he will be part of this rotation, but if not, he could be a multiple inning guy. And I, I, I wish there were more, and I wish managers, I think I talked about this before. I, I wish there would be more multiple inning guys in a bullpen. I'm, I, you know, I, I got sick and tired of the one or two out guy. And I know they went to now you got to face three batters. I, I want the two inning guy. Well, I want a guy, if he's effective for an inning, roll his ass back out there for another inning. Let's go it, again. Especially when they take starters out after four and five right, innings now right, all the time. Right. And I think, and that's where you better have a good bullpen today because of that. And so to me, I think it's shaking out pretty good. Uh, you know, Sean Doolittle has had two good innings in a row, and I know you everybody can laugh at that, and I I do too because I watched a couple of games on TV where uh, he just got obliterated. I mean, the people were just honestly might as well put it on a batting tee and just said, "Here, this is my pitch. I'm going to put it right there, and you hit it out of the ballpark." Last couple of innings, though, he's kind of figured it out a little bit. He's gotten down in the zone. He's Again, he's, he's a guy who's had, and that's the thing the guys I'm talking about have had past success in the league. It's not like you got a bunch of guys are going, boy, I hope he's good one day, and I hope he can do okay. You know, these are guys who have done it. They've got chink in the armor. It's why they've bounced around, and that's usually how bullpens are. Um, you're trying to find a little lightning in a bottle, and I think they've got a potential to do that. I intentionally said that I, I didn't want to talk about the shortstop position, and I'm not going to, but, but. The, the, the storyline I'm interested in is kind of shortstop adjacent because it's one of the key players now all of a sudden and in this shuffling that's going on in the infield. I'm fascinated by what's going to happen with Jonathan India. Yeah, that's a good I, call. I mean, he he is the guy that if all of a sudden he figures it out and things fall into place for him, that, you know, there's been some upside there. It's not like he wasn't a guy that was highly thought of at one point. If he becomes that guy at second base, which, by the way, little power in his bat for that position yes. moving from third to second. You, you really kind of like what you got there from an offensive standpoint. If, if he can get it going, that could be exactly what this team needs. It could be important for the next few years. I, 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 I think, think it's too, I think it's twofold there, Rick. And I, and I think and I'm going to allow you a second guy to put in the mix. I think Tyler Stevenson fits that. Can you imagine if Tyler Stevenson and Jonathan India hit what that does to this lineup all of a sudden, if they both hit, yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think, to me, I'm not as excited about the unknown with Stevenson. I, I, because we have seen him a little bit, I think he can be solid. I'm not like, it, you know, I don't think he has a ton of upside there. With well, I'm not asking for 25 homers, but you give me 12 to 15 towards the bottom of the lineup with those two guys with a little bit of pop as opposed to two guys who were going to probably hit in the low twos and in Tucker Barnhart's case, maybe not even get out of the high ones. I'm trading that for, for 12 to 15 home runs at those two position groups with maybe some gap power on top of it. Suddenly your seventh and eighth hitters aren't automatic outs. They're dudes that you've got to be careful with. For sure. And it adds depth. And I'm like, again, I, I like Stevenson over Barnhart. We've talked about that before. I think that's an upgrade and I am excited about what he can bring. I guess more so I'm already expecting that, you know, I'm already expecting he's going to be an upgrade over Barnhart and he is going to play a lot. A dude with a wet piece a wet, a wet newspaper is better than Tucker Barnhart <laughs> swinging a bat. So that's kind of where I go back to the second base thing, because, you know, with, without India, you've obviously got the issue of the shortstop, the third base, all of that, but 
if India can be that guy at second base, all of a sudden things fall into place for your infield yeah, and yeah. you don't look like you had no plan all along. And I'm sure that's what the, the Reds will try to lean on if it works out is this was what we wanted to do. <laughs> now, they never said that and they kept no, telling I... us they were going to make a move to get a shortstop. But if it works out, it will not look that bad for them. The, the, the thing that comes into play here, though, is they have to make a decision now on opening day because of service time. Are, are they going to wait a couple weeks before they bring him up to make sure they get that control for a seventh year versus bringing them up right away for opening day and giving yourself potentially your best lineup to start the season. My guess is they're going to hold off. They're going to wait. They're going to bring them up a few weeks into the season. I don't know. Pass with a guy like Senzel. I think some of that might depend on whether Joey Votto is ready for opening day or not. It's a good point. Because if not, then Kyle Farmer probably has to play first base. And, And so at that point, then, I, I, I just think if, if you think India is ready at that point, I think you got to do it. And the only thing I will say is, as I'm not opposed to those moves, I know a lot of people are, and I get it. You want your best guys up for the most time, but I also understand, you know, saving two weeks to save a full season. Just, it, I hate to say it. It's just the way the game's played. If you want to change it, go collectively bargain against it and, and be done with it. So uh, you're, you're the players association has agreed to this. So that's, that's on them too. The only thing I can tell you is this, if you go, two and nine to open the season and he doesn't come up and then he comes up and plays well, you open up a bad can of worms, bro. That's on you. Yeah. I mean, and, and no one's going to be forgiving about it, but yeah, even still, I think ultimately the decision will be to wait and you're right. It's probably the smart thing to do, get a seventh year instead of six, whatever. But I I still, I'm interested to see how this whole thing plays out with Jonathan India. It was something that wasn't even really on my radar coming into spring training. I neither written him off. I I completely written him off. Wow. This could really help things if if this works out for them. And this isn't some 23rd round pick that came out of nowhere. I mean, this was a first round guy, but I'm I'm saying it's a guy that they had talked highly of in the past, but he just seemed like it it just wasn't going to work out. He kept fading. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears to the college basketball scene, and we're going to talk about March Madness and get into our picks and everything. But first, we're going to stick with the local teams because it is a wild time in college basketball, as you know. It's been a week since we last talked, and during this time of year, that can be an eternity. No more UC players have entered the transfer portal since we last spoke, though the Bearcats did pick up a commitment from 6'9", face-up forward Bryson Spell. On the other side of town, Xavier freshman shooter C.J. Wilcher announced he was entering the transfer portal. Also, seniors Brian Griffin and Jason Carter both announced they will try to play one more year somewhere else and enter the portal as well. And assistant coach Ben Johnson was hired as the head coach at Minnesota. That was received well. While special assistant to the head coach Matt Graves got the associate head coaching job at Indiana State. Skinny, what are your thoughts on the latest round of movement in the local college basketball scene? Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in Griffin because I still think he would have given them some toughness and rebounding off the bench. Jason Carter, I think we can agree. Meh. Um, CJ Wilcher, I, I wish he would have stuck around, but I, none of those really moved the needle of, oh my gosh, panic time. Um, you know, Ben Johnson, good for him. He played at Minnesota. He was an assistant there. Um, it was not met very highly, I don't think, by the by That's the one of the most base. stunning, stunning hires I have seen in a while. Dude, and I'm not what, saying it what, won't work out. No, no. When I saw it, my jaw dropped and I didn't know Ben Johnson's uh, connection to Minnesota. Right. I just didn't. Um, I'm sure you did. I did not until I had to write it for the website. I did. And I'm telling you, I think we were equally surprised. Okay. Um, (laughs) Because here's the thing. He was on Richard Patino's staff when they, they did some good things, nothing that was needle moving great. And, you know, it'd be one thing if, okay, they went to five straight NCAA tournaments, won a couple of games and we're bringing this guy back and et cetera, et cetera. Although if that was the case, Richard Pitino probably would have lost his job. 
yeah, I think for, for if you're that fan base, it's wait a minute. So you're taking a, a guy who was an assistant on some mediocre teams here coming off of some teams that have not made the tournament. And he's now our head coach and we're a big 10 school. And we couldn't have landed somebody with head coaching experience. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I hope for the guy it works out. I mean, as a Minnesota grad and a guy that's, I think he's from Minneapolis, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, I hope like I always th- hope that works out for the guy, but boy, it is awful questionable for them to make this hire. Um, when, when, you know, Minnesota is not a plum job, but by God, it's a big 10 job. It's going to pay some pretty good money. And it's going to attract some damn good candidates. Yeah. I mean, I had talked to, sources at Xavier about it. And I talked to a guy who I know that covers Minnesota's basketball team on Sunday. And I asked him, Hey, uh, you know, I know Ben's kind of in the mix here. Is it, is it legit? Do I need to worry about this or get anything ready or, and both people told me, Oh, he's going to get an interview out of respect. You know, they really like him. He's a great guy. It's home, whatever. But uh, that'd be a huge reach for him to get that job. I wouldn't worry about it. And then the next day, I'm sitting in Barstool Sportsbook out at Lawrenceburg watching college <laughs> basketball uh, with no laptop in sight. And lo and behold, Ben Johnson gets hired at Minnesota. Now, that was like a big deal that I had a ton that I needed to do or anything. But it was just like it tells you how unready I was for that to happen and how surprised I was by him getting hired, even well, even knowing what, you know, yeah, what the, Minnesota meant to him and what he meant there. Yeah, the, the, and the thing is that – um I saw, I can't remember who tweeted. It might've been Jeff Goodman that, that apparently the AD at Minnesota said he was blown away by the interview. I don't still know if I'm hiring a guy off of just an interview that blew me away. I, I got to have some cachet in a job like that. I just do. And again, I'm not here to tell with you. I hope it works out for him. It'd be a great feel good story for that guy. Um, but man, that AD's put his neck on the line. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I prefer this hire to the retread hire. I mean, there are so many guys that keep getting chances that flame out somewhere and people go, well, he's got experience. He did this somewhere at some point in his career. So well, I'm talking about the up and coming guy, the guy that's done some stuff at a smaller uh, school. The, no, the I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and, and that's where I agree with you. Is it like the, I want the up and comer guy. I want the guys who haven't had the chance before. So I like this mindset of hiring instead of we just need a guy with former head coaching experience, but you expect that to be a guy that's either been on the cusp for a long time because of accolades racked up as an assistant coach right. or like, or a guy who, you know, a Dennis Gates type guy who just got a job at a low level job, had a lot of success already. And you, you bring him up to the next level. It's just surprising. That's all. But anyway, as far as it goes for the Xavier stuff, you know, Brian Griffin and Jason Carter were both seniors that Xavier did not expect to have back. Had it not been for this pandemic year where they were given another year of eligibility. And basically the staff told him, look, we recruited for you guys to not be around. We love you. You got a spot. We're leaving it up to you. If you want to come back, you're more than welcome to. But they were very honest with them about the fact that they are going to have reduced roles if they come back. Because as you see now in this current climate of basketball, if you recruit young guys and then you don't play them because two seniors that weren't that good decided to come back and take a few of the minutes, you're losing out on four years of those guys. They're leaving. So, yeah, I, I just you have to be honest with the staff in that situation and say, look, we're going to play some of these young guys, develop them. We're also going to go look in the transfer portal to upgrade at your spots. It, it is what it is. You know, we've fulfilled our obligation to you. You fulfilled our, your obligation to us. If you want to come back, we're happy to have you. But that's what it is. And so that's why both of those guys are leaving. Uh, Jason Carter, from what I understand, may not even continue playing college basketball, but he's going to weigh his options. So neither of those were like a loss for Xavier, I wouldn't say. The C.J. Wiltshire one was a situation where they definitely wanted him back. They definitely saw him as a big part of their plans. The issue was once Nate Johnson decided he was coming back, CJ all of a sudden realized, 
well, now there's no more minutes for me on the wing again. It's basically the same guys that were here last year, assuming Paul Scruggs returns. And hey, what's, what's going on with that, Rick? I don't want you to put you on the spot, but it felt like last week um, it was going to be it was almost a done deal that he was It's like two or three days. It felt like he was going to announce he was coming back and nothing. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people like in terms of the reporting side of it out there that were putting out there in public were a little too gung ho about this. I think he had his well, I know he had his meeting with the staff last week, and that's why a lot of those announcements were coming out. So everyone expected it. The staff told those guys, all of the seniors that. Uh, you get, you know, 10 days, week and a half, two weeks, whatever, figure out what you want to do and let us know. And, and we'll move on from there. So Paul has taken advantage of that time. I think at this point, the staff knows what he's doing. And I think that would be good news for Xavier if the staff knows what he's doing and no one's made an announcement yet. So okay. kind of suggests to me, there might be uh, some stuff behind the scenes, maybe getting a video ready, something like that. So We'll see. Uh, no guarantees on that. It's not a done deal, but I, I tend to think we'll hear something soon. Oh, like I, think I, said, we'll I think we'll hear something today because we just talked about it and it'll be obsolete by the time the podcast gets dropped. So that's yes, exactly what I was expecting, <laughs> especially because tomorrow would make it a Friday news dump, which I Correct. would expect if it's good news. And yeah, <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I, I think I, I get so. Yeah, going back to CJ Wilcher, you look at that situation on the wing. It's like, oh, clearly they're just hoping I'm like, backup minutes at the forward spot again, where I struggle to defend and they're talking about bringing in more forwards. I think for him, the writing was on the wall. He was good with coming back at first. Then Nate Johnson announced he was coming back and it became a thing of like, well, where are my minutes going to be exactly? This doesn't seem like a great situation. So yeah, I think that was one Xavier would have liked to, to have kept him. No doubt. Uh, he's doing what's best for him. And I, I think it probably makes sense as well. And that's probably a situation where this year, playing Jason Carter as much as you did and not getting a lot out of it. Probably tough for a guy like right. CJ Wilcher to be sitting on the bench, realizing what he can do offensively, seeing what he was doing offensively when he got in the game and then not getting those minutes as the team continued to struggle. I think that definitely played a role down the stretch on the flip side, though. I want to go back to UC skinny. I, I think we've gotten past that initial period of what was going on with them. And, and obviously when you have an entire freshman class that you recruited transfer out, that's not a good situation. Uh, but now that we're uh, another weekend, all this stuff, we're seeing what's happening around the country, even at places where everything seems great and no one has an issue with the coach and, and they even had a good season and four or five guys are leaving the program. I think people are starting to pumping the brakes a little bit on some of the things they were saying about John Brandon and UC all of a sudden it's, it's not a good situation. Their roster is, is in dire need of revamping all of a sudden and they have to, really scramble here but in terms of like did something crazy happen is the staff totally incompetent and all the stuff that you were hearing i think a lot of people have started to pull back on that a little bit as they're realizing what's really going on in college basketball right now yeah i mean the zach harvey thing was was fairly egregious that's one that you'd you'd, you'd like to have that back right um and, and I think we've all done that where we've replied all and we didn't mean to, or we that, that's, that's the rumor out there, right? Is that right. An assistant right. coach said something negative about Harvey to a recruit. And that got back to Zach Harvey and the right. team. And that's when he left. And we've all done that. We've all hit the, we've all done the stupid where you go, Oh my gosh, did I send that to the whole group? Or did I send that to this person? Um, I remember I DM somebody at my workplace one time, it was a <laughs> girl reporter. And I, I said, well, she just shut the blank up. And I looked at the guy because we used to do, be able to do instant messaging at, at, at the post. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, I think I sent it to her. And she goes, all right, I will. And I went, OK, well, at least I got you to do what I asked. So, 
But yeah, I mean, we've all had that moment. Oh, you know, the man. other the, the other stuff. Listen, there was obviously a laundry list of of some grievances, and they seemed like they got aired out. And maybe the final straw was John walking off the floor against whatever it was. And I think that's what we talked about this last week. You can take a lot of these in a vacuum. I mean, was Mason Madsen going to stick around when his brother wasn't going to stick around? Maybe, but maybe not. Zach Harvey, we just talked about. You know, Tari Eason, I think, is a big loss. Mikey Saunders looked like he was going to be a good future point guard. And yes, in that in that whole bubble of six guys in two days leaving, it's an awful, awful optic. But then you have David DeJulia step to the plate and speak effusively in his praise of John Brandon. Um, Jeremiah Davenport. Jeremiah Davenport, right. So, yeah, it, it, there is a lot to fill, but I think the brakes have been pumped a little bit. And Well, and nothing else has come out. I think that's right, the other correct. thing. Everyone was part, waiting right. for this big smoking gun moment. And like we talked about last week, I don't think it's there. Like that's that doesn't seem like what we know about John Brandon. That doesn't seem like any, I mean, if you were, if something serious happened like this and all these players that are getting DM'd and leaking texts and are talking to reporters as anonymous sources, they're not saying anything about what happened. You know what I mean? Like this right. is all they've got right now is just that like, we didn't have a good relationship. Wasn't nice enough to us during practices and COVID. I mean, it's not a good look for anybody, but it's again, it's I think not everyone's, everyone felt there was going to be like sure some abuse or something here. And that just isn't what we have to the best of anyone's knowledge. And there's been plenty of opportunities for something to get leaked or come out by this point. I mean, oh, no question. everybody's been, been trying to write that story. Yeah. No uh, question. Justin Williams, you know, Justin Williams wrote the story he wrote. I mentioned this on Mo. I know UC fans are mad about that. And, and some are saying, well, you have to get rid of Brandon now because he's never going to be able to recruit with an article like that out there against him. You might want to start looking up and Googling, some names like Fran McCafferty or I mean, take any hot head coach. I mean, Tom Izzo, Tom Izzo I, for I, the last saying, two years, the NCAA tournament. Has dude, and, that, and, that's like the, this. and that's not behind the scenes. That's Tom Izzo publicly public. losing his yeah. mind, which, you know, I, I'm not, a, I, I'm, I'm an old school guy, so I get that. But I, but the optics of that were clearly in front of all of us. We right. saw it. It wasn't like this happened in a practice that nobody saw the and, nation and, saw it. <laughs> and he's still fine recruiting. It is as a Hall of Famer. I'm not trying to yes. compare no, no, it apples to apples, but like Fran McCaffrey is not, you know, I mean, people, people like Fran McCaffrey. He's a good coach, but he's not a great coach. And a lot of people have wanted to run him out of Iowa in the past. And his antics have gotten him in trouble in the past. But like that type of stuff is not the end of the world for most people that like basketball and understand college basketball. They want their kids to be coached. They understand things don't always go well in a locker room. So it is not the end of the world that there's one article out there that says John Brandon's players weren't happy with the way the season went and they decided to leave. I, I, I think people are greatly exaggerating how big of a deal the the media coverage of this is. It's like yeah, I, I, go by so fast in our current media cycle that I just don't know that it's I mean, it, it's a bad look right now. I just don't know that it affects them long term. Well, and, and I think we're going to get to this topic, but I mean. You know, I know he's scram- you're going to scramble to fill the roster, but in today's day and age of the transfers, look, guys just want to go where they want to, where they get a chance to play. And they're going to look and go, crap, there's a bunch of spots open at Cincinnati. Nice facility. Got a chance to, to this team. This program is usually in the hunt to be in the NCAA tournament. Sign me up. There's a spot there. I don't have to fight for a spot. I'm, I'm going to get myself a chance to get some meaningful minutes. So I think he'll fill the roster fine. Now, will it be pieces that, are cohesive and have chemistry and can play together. All over. That only time is going to tell that and practice is going to tell sure. that, but I think he's going to fill the roster. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's going to be really hard to find all the right guys that are all good enough that all play together well instantly. But in terms of just finding guys, it'll happen. And as you go on past this year, 
you know, hopefully you get a couple of those guys this year that have some multiple years of eligibility and you right. stack another class line. And it's just back to building a team the way you normally would. The problem is if you're in John Brand's situation, the last two, you know, the first year, I think a lot of people are split on that, whether you consider that year a success or a failure or somewhere in between. Would have liked would, to seen it play out. Yeah, I think most people would say it's probably somewhere in between. Last year was disappointing. So you, you got a little less wiggle room. You don't have as much time to rebuild this roster again when you were kind of already supposed to be getting your guys in place here heading into year three. So it's not it's not a good situation. It's very difficult for John and his staff right now, but it is interesting how this all has played out as everyone starts to realize what the the landscape is like in college basketball and and what actually happened there, at least as, as far as we know. It's just not, I think, what a lot of people wanted it to be the first few days as that story came out. And then on the flip side, it's like, you know, I know on the message boards right now between Xavier and UC people, they're arguing back and forth about like the situations being the same because now Xavier has five guys. It's like, right. well, hold on. You're talking about guys that were already graduated from Xavier that they never planned on coming back. And they told them, hey, you don't really have a role here anymore. Those those guys aren't guys leaving your team in the transfer portal like freshmen that you recruited that you plan to be cornerstones of your program for the next few years. So yeah, I, I think it's Kiki, still a very they, different think, situation. Yeah, I think Kiki, they probably did when they recruited him, but obviously yeah. it played itself well, out. Kiki and CJ both, I would say, are like guys that are kind of, you're kind of in the same boat as you see with those two, right? I mean, because those are guys when you got them, you were playing on them playing multiple right. years and being right. a big part of what you're doing. And now they're gone. And you can say, okay, Kiki didn't work out or didn't get the staff didn't work. But that's the same thing as you see at this point, you know, it's a, things didn't work out. And so you left and that hurts you when you miss and you have holes in your roster like that. But like Brian Griffin, Jason Carter and Daniel Ramsey, those guys weren't factored in for the next years. They'd already recruited past that. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about, the NCAA tournament overall before we get into our betting segment. I think this is probably a good way to transition this conversation. We had, I guess, what's the best way to say more upsets in the first round than we've ever had before. Is that the right way to, I I don't know what the exact terminology was, but it was, it was a very non chalky first round. Yeah. I mean, you've got um, four double digit seeds still remaining. You also have a seven still left and an eight still left. So, I mean, you've got actually two sevens and an eight still left. Um, that's half the field is a seven seed or higher. That's 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 pretty rare. Do you think this is a fluky tournament because of the year we've had with the pandemic and everything, or are we seeing a shift in college basketball in your opinion? I, I think I, I was asked this question on a radio show Monday, and 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 it was a good one. So I'm glad it's come up here. I I, I think we we're seeing a shift, um, and I think the transfers are doing it. You know what? Houston starts what I think four transfers. Arkansas is is transfer you, and. and there used to be a negative connotation to transfers. And sometimes back back in the day, there kind of was because that yeah, was usually a trouble guy. Think there is. Yeah. And, but that that's the point of it. That that narrative is completely changed anymore. It now it's it's more, I think, guys looking for an opportunity to go play. And so I think what you're seeing is, and it I, I don't know if it's coincidental that, that that the blue bloods didn't quite have success, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. Um, or is this where guys are looking and going? I don't want to be the seventh or eighth eighth recruit in a class. I don't want to be the ninth or 10th guy. When I think I can play, I'm going to go find a place to play. And yeah, it was cool that Carolina recruited me. And it was cool that I got to say, I got a scholarship from North Carolina, but I want to play. And I think you're seeing more and more guys like that. So now what you're seeing is the talent start to spread itself out. 
And you're seeing then some lower level guys. Um, you know, Macy Oteig, the Cincinnati kid that starts for Baylor, began his career at USNC Asheville, right? Kind of below the radar, not kind of, below the radar school, but got himself to be a good enough player to where Baylor, arguably the second best team in the country and maybe a national champion, wanted Macy Oteig and got him as a transfer. So I think you're seeing that the talent spread out. And so I don't think this is going to be a one-off, Rick. I think you're going to see more and more of this every year where you're going to look and go, well, how's that team here? Well, here's why. Because they got this guy from that school, that guy from this school, this guy from that school, and they've meshed here, here this year. So I, I think you're going to see more and more. I think the, the changing of the guards come. I, I think the, the days of the Blue Bloods consistently being in the, in the final fours, I think it's done. I feel like in years past, we've, you know, this question comes up anytime there's a lot of upsets in the tournament or if uh, uh, VCU and George Mason make it to the final four, you know, it comes up we've had times where the tournament's kind of been tilted on its side and flipped upside down, whatever. And we end up asking these questions. And the thing that people always said was the line has been blurred, right? For talent that that all of a sudden the the guys at the mid-major are close enough that on the right game, they're going to beat the guys from the high majors. And I think that has been true for a while. And really what you have in college sports, especially with college basketball, is the major conferences are set up to make sure that they're going to be successful. Sure. And, you know, the mid-majors don't really have that chance. So that's what's really held the mid-majors back for the longest time. It's what's going to continue to hold them back in this landscape. They just don't get the same opportunity. So I don't think there's going to be like some big flip in terms of how the tournament is seated or no, how at least these be, teams it, are making their you're just runs. Gonna see, you're just going to see teams go on these runs because they've got more talent than you think. I don't know if that's true simply because uh, I don't know that they're going to get more opportunities. You know, we're going to continue to see like the Syracuses, for instance, Get the, they're still going to get those 11 seeds like they get, and they're going to get the chance to make the run because they're in that power conference. They get the benefit of the doubt. So I still think there's more opportunities for the high majors to make these runs, and, and that's going to continue. But to your point, I think we've, for, for years and years, because of, I was actually just talking about this with my, my cousin who coaches basketball. And we were talking about how much better high school kids, even at the, even girls, cause he's, he's coached girls in the past, how much better they are in terms of their footwork when they're oh, driving to the Rick, basket or Rick. in transition. No, you know, what's so funny is last night uh, I broadcast the two ninth region semifinal games uh, with Ken Shields, nephew, Dan, who's a, a former official and, and obviously basketball runs in the family. And we're watching one of the layup lines and he goes, do you remember back in the day, how many guys you, you saw in a layup line dunk? I go, Oh my gosh, it was rare. He goes, I swear to God, every one of these teams has five, six guys that now can dunk. Oh, yeah. it's, I think the athleticism just, it is, it's, it's gotten better. There's, a, there's just a, the better players today. Well, the athleticism thing is, has been building for a while. I think that's part of the whole, you know, the lines being blurred argument. And then you have, like, we were just talking about the footwork and the amount of, like, he was talking about in girls basketball in middle school, there's not a girl who won't do a Euro step around you if you step right. and try to take a charge now. Whereas, like, I mean, five, six years ago, even in high school basketball, guys weren't doing that. Norm, like just normally, it was like a big play when you saw someone ex- avoid a defender and it was in an ooh and, yeah, it was transition an ooh and like that yeah. and, and be smooth about it. Now everybody can do it. So it's like the, just the amount of training, the amount of, I guess, I don't know if it's just resources that are out there via YouTube or the amount of people that are doing personal training around and, and kids working on skills instead of just going and, and playing AAU. I don't know, but there is clearly a level of uh, sophistication to the development with kids and and stuff across the board to where I do think there are more skilled players spread out there. And you factor in 
this this day and age of the transfer portal and the ability to get a waiver in the past. Now you won't even need that. You'll just right. be eligible right away. It has changed the game to where you can build a roster more quickly. So I, I do think it matters for the smaller teams. I do think we will continue to see more of those types of upsets, though I don't know that it'll be like a, a crazy high percentage or we're going to continue to have the same level of upsets that we had this year going forward. What I do think we'll continue to see a lot of is the Arkansas of the world. Yes. Uh, an, um, an Eric Musselman approach where you can be a guy who Dude, is Houston turning over your roster with transfers and you'll be good enough. I mean, clearly Musselman has figured it out. That's all he did at Nevada. It's all he's doing at Arkansas and he's done nothing but win over the last five years. And that's where a Jalen Tate, who was an extraordinarily good player at NKU, didn't have enough around him to make a magical NCAA tournament run. But by golly, at Arkansas, he does. <laughs> and he's already figured out how to be a winner. How, right. Like right. he knows he knows how to get there. You've seen it in these games. He makes winning smart plays. And, and, and it feels like make, yeah, Macy Oteague the same way, right? I mean, yeah. I, I you know, I, so that and I I think that's what you're seeing. And I think the 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 more of what you said, when you finally do get the free waiver, that's eventually going to come. I think the more you're going to see this, and then it's a matter of as a coach, are you willing to adapt and take that on? Yeah, I agree. But I, you know, cause I think it hurts the mid majors just like it helps them too, yes. you know, cause they're losing their best players now at, at when they're a senior or maybe even before that to the Arkansas of the world. So it's going it, to, you know, it's going to happen in both directions as far as the transfer portal goes. So I don't know that's going to be overwhelming in favor of the mid-majors, but in terms of just at any point in time, a team, a team's roster situation can change and you can go from looking great or looking like you're in a dire roster situation to it's all good. We got three transfers, but yeah, Rick back in, back in the day and not too far back in the day, if you signed a scholarship with college a, you were probably locked in for at least a couple of years before you decided, all right, I've had enough. I'm not going to play. I got to go look somewhere else. Yeah, Unless they ran you out. Yeah. Right. And then you look for somewhere else and then it was, boy, I really like this team. I like this situation. And then you had to sit out and maybe the situation you were looking at three of those guys graduate and now you're not going into a good situation. And I think now what you're saying is everybody can fit the situation together at the right time. Right away. Yeah. And and that's going to happen even more moving forward. The fluidity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really does make it free agency. And I know a lot of people don't like that. They think it's unfair. I'm on the other side of it. I think it's like, hey, coaches get paid millions of dollars to figure it out. That's their job. They got to figure out the roster situation. It's, you're right. It's tough. And all of a sudden you can just lose half your roster in one year and it's not necessarily your fault. But, you know, maybe you need to change something. Maybe it was partly your fault. Maybe right. that, and that's what I didn't like the way you handled it. And let's circle that back to John Brandon. Maybe this is a lesson for John too. Right. And he goes, okay, you know, I got to change a few things, but, oh, at, the, but yeah. at the same time, I can still fill my roster out. We're still going to get guys. Yeah. I agree with that. All right. Let's get into some NCAA tournament talk just in general. Has there been any, uh, any best games for you? Any takes that, that you have after watching aside from the, the parody is, what, I, what I realize I realize this is not a hot take, but I'm just going to say this. My man, Porter Moser can coach. It's a fascinating story, man. Cause for 13 years, he absolutely sucked. I mean, he has really not been good for, like was a, it a matter of just it's Loyola and I can't get guys. And then all of a sudden he makes a run and now he's getting some guys I and think, he can coach. I think that's partly possible. It's just, it's fascinating to watch uh, uh, some of these, these mid major guys who have been given the chance. And are now being looked at as, I mean, look at the Oral Roberts situation. You know, that guy ha- has a losing record in his first, first four years as a head coach. 
And now look at where he's at. You know, I mean, it it's weird how that whole work, how that whole thing works out and how we view these coaches by them just making a run in the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying it's right or wrong necessarily. But for, but, for Porter, this is two runs to to not just yeah, win the really game, impressive. but it's two really, impressive. really nice runs in a fairly you know short period of time here over the last few years. And That's his teams impressive. play that style that makes you feel like, man, they're really being coached. Yep. You know, they're super disciplined. They they really defend you. So they everyone get good looks, shots. Yeah, everyone looks at that and is like, oh, that's great coaching. Now I don't necessarily agree with that cliche way of looking at basketball. I think some of the best coaches play a more open style and get their players to learn how to play instead of just being uh, robots within a system. But again, that, that Loyola thing, the job he's doing super impressive, super impressive stuff. I just, again, I don't know, like, you know, Xavier fans want Porter Mosier now over Travis Steele. It's like, well, if Porter Mosier was here, you would have ran him out of town if he had. Right, that's, no, that's, that's right. Mosier that's right. Let, let, let's take Travis Steele if he's here for twelve years, and let's see how that match. And it may not. I mean, but and you look, know, that's the point. And everyone fires back with, "Well, Xavier has higher expectations than Loyola does." So, okay, that's fair, but it doesn't mean it's any easier. Right. It doesn't mean a first coach is a first year head coach isn't going to get better over his first several years. I mean, it's just. The way we look at some of this stuff is nonsense. I do think, you know, this is kind of off tangent as well, but the, the whole Travis Steele thing with, it's like everyone at Xavier always says they want their Mark Few. They want their Jay Wright. They want their guy who's going to stay around. Travis Steele is the best chance Xavier has had to do that. I know everyone thought Chris Mack was. That's not the case. Travis Steele is your best chance. And part of the reason he's your best chance now is because he hasn't gotten off to a blazing start. You have the opportunity here to keep this guy around for 10 years if you really want to more than likely. And if you do that, he's got a family situation where they're independently wealthy and his wife's family is from this area. They don't want to leave. You know, you could have your guy in Travis Steele that's going to stick around forever, but you may have to give him that opportunity to figure it out first as a new head coach. And that's society that does not happen. Right. It's fascinating to think about, you know, that the idea that you could have your guy that you've always wanted but now, in your opinion, your program's gotten too big to where you can't wait for him to become that guy and turn it around. I, I, I just look at that with the Porter Moser thing. You brought it up, and it's, I, I love the discourse surrounding Porter Moser because if you look at his career record, what he's done leading up to the last few seasons, no one would want him as their head coach. No one would have liked that hire. Yeah, here he is with, with a legitimate chance to, to maybe get to another Final Four, which would just be crazy. Um, I got two other takes for you. I hate to swallow hard on this. Um, but, and, and it's going to be insufferable, but Bill Walton is going to just, the, 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 the conference of champions got four in the sweet 16, baby. Nobody well, saw that coming, right? Nobody saw this coming. Uh, especially me, because if you remember, I told you I was going to be fading the pac 12 all tournament and I was all in on the big 10, the big 10's got one team left, Uh huh. but uh, which, which well, is wh- crazy. Wh- where are you at hey, on hey, that wh- though? Because I'm, hang, of- hang on a second. Okay. Oh, go ahead. You know, no, you're, you're okay. I'll be damned. UCLA's still in the tournament. Did you know that? <laughs> I, I just now hey, noticed that. You know what? I was, I was, I wanted to have an actual conversation first, but we can okay, go there. I'm, so, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm no, no, no. We can go okay. there. Okay. All right. I, 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 I do have to admit Mick Cronin in the end of that Michigan state game, especially overtime, coached in a manner we have never seen him coach. And that was impressive execution, particularly on the offensive end by his team. And I will admit, I am thoroughly impressed by the job his team has done. So well, and you, and you want to go back to our transfer conversation? Who's their, who's arguably at least one of their top two offensive play, best offensive players? Johnny Juzang. Of course. 
I mean, transfer from Kentucky. So there's T- back to the transfer that wouldn't have helped the Wildcats. Exactly. No, that, that goes back to that conversation we had. So, um, yeah, I just I just want to make sure you were aware that they were still in the tournament. That's all. I just I, no, I didn't know if you knew that it, or not. I deserve that. And again, I, I have nothing to come back at that with other than I am really impressed with what Mick Cronin did. All the stuff that I have typically made fun of him for and the reasons that I have thought he is not a good coach in these situations, they were not to be found. I, I have to say, if I'm a UC fan, that really sucks. <laughs> it really sucks <laughs> to see that this guy is just going to open his offense up, run things like he's never ran, and, and also, by the way, make some concessions on the defensive end. That's, that's the big thing here. He's, he's playing some guys and playing some lineups out there that don't give him the best defense. Go look at their Ken Palm numbers. They're better on the offensive end right. than they are defensively. That's right. not a McCronin team usually. I, to me, if I was a UC fan, that would really frustrate me because he has all of a sudden done exactly what you were always just hoping he would do. And I know everyone's going to say he has better talent out at UCLA, but I mean, I think he was kind of limited in his view of what UC could be and the way he had to win there. Just my personal opinion. Uh, uh, the Pac-12 and Big Ten, yes. it's, it's astonishing. And that is why I do think the NCAA tournament, it, it's a one-game scenario. It is a total crapshoot, yes. and it's a terrible no. way to make sweeping yes. uh, no, no, generalizations no, that, about an entire season. I figured that's where you were going with that, and, and yeah. I agree with it. It's still not a very good optic, though, for, for the Big Ten to get basically swept out the door before the Sweet 16. That's a, that's, a, that's a bad optic no matter how you shape it. But, yes, that's always the narrative of, well, two – Two teams from the Ohio Valley, or from two teams from the MAC got in and they went to the Sweet 16. What does that say about the MAC? It says that probably the other eight teams suck or uh, 10 teams suck, and those were just two really good teams having a good run. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what the tournament is. It's why it's so great and so entertaining because it's one game scenario. Anything can happen, especially in basketball, where basically your shooting percentage means everything in a, when, if it's a one game scenario. And that that's what you're having. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into, oh, yeah, that conference was clearly better than the other conference because of their run. But in terms of the takes we have given about this tournament, yeah, I, I look pretty extraordinarily stupid after saying <laughs> I was going to fade the Pac-12 and I was so impressed with the Big Ten all week. And lastly, I have a tie to Oral Roberts. That, I, that's why I'm rooting for them. I tread lightly here. No, no. Yeah, not, not a tie to Oral himself. God rest his soul. No. Um, the last time they won an NCAA tournament game, they actually got to the Elite Eight in 1974. And in that 1973-74 season in late February, I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time, and my grade school team played at halftime of a game that they played against um, Southern Illinois. So the last time they won an NCAA tournament game, I actually played on the floor that they play on. I feel like I've got a kind of an emotional tie to that team now. I, I can't even think of a closer connection to any right. team that anyone would have. So, yeah, I mean, you're pretty much like Sister Jean for Oral Roberts. Correct. That's what that's what I'm feeling like. I'm, I'm feeling that. I'm, I'm rooting for, for Oral Roberts. Back then, they were known as the Titans. They, they've had a, a name change since then. But it's the same arena, the maybe center on, on the campus of Oral Roberts. Was Titans uh, offensive at some point? Um, I guess it that? must have been. I'm trying to figure out why, yeah, why that got changed. <laughs> I, I honestly, some weird bird now. I honestly don't know. That actually, that Oral Roberts team in '74, they were just in their infancy of Division One basketball, and and honestly, should have got to the final. They lost in overtime to Kansas in an Elite Eight game, and should have gotten to the Final Four. And man, they were good. They averaged over 100 points a game. I mean, they were they were fun as heck to watch. We, I, I probably went to. I was a, I was a, only a fifth grader then, so you, you know memories are fuzzy. But I want to say eight to ten games maybe of them, and they were they were a blast. They they were really good. I'm gonna say their golden eagle looks like a looks like he wants to dirty, kick your ass. A dirty crow or like yeah. maybe a, a 
crappy hawk at best. Like yeah. it's not a, a golden eagle in my opinion. It's not very no. impressive looking. So. No, it, it's not. It's it's a, it's an ugly looking mascot. So anyway, so that those those are my those. I, I just I'm, I'm I've been rooting for them. I'm glad for them. Go Oral Roberts. Are uh, you are you uh, in on the all the Oral Roberts puns and jokes on social media? Or are you like I've heard all of those before? So yeah. No, well, yeah, not. they're not new. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. They're not new. Yeah, I just I, I, I just really like the guy who likes to look at my name and go, oh, Dick Skinner. Really? Never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, you're clever. Yep. I, I really appreciate it when you've got like uh, Wally Zerbiak on the CBS halftime show and they're like trying to hold back their Snickers because someone said oral. It's like, man, <laughs> I'd, I'd really prefer you guys just make the jokes and laugh about it instead right. of like trying to hold back like you like that's, we don't know what you're talking about. That's even more childish. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really embarrassing. All right, let's get into some picks. We're just yep. going to blow through these. Yep. We're gonna, just going to do spreads and we're going to pick all the games. All right. Uh, last week, I was one and three. You were one and three. Yeah, I'm yes. 15 and 21. You are 17 and 19 overall right. for basketball season. All right. Fire Saturday away. at 240. We've got Oregon State and Loyola. Loyola is a six and a half point favorite. I'm taking Oregon State in the points, man. They've they've been rolling as the underdog ever since the start of the Pac-12 tournament. Why stop now? Um, they haven't needed the points. They've been winning outright. So I'm going to take the six and a half in, in Oregon State. I have no logic there. Yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. It just feels like a little bit too big of a spread for Loyola in in a Sweet 16 game. At the same time, I really don't like this Oregon State team, especially before the tournament started. And I do think Loyola solid. I'm going to go the other way on this one and go Loyola minus six and a half. Uh, that brings us to the second game at 5:15 on Saturday. We've got Baylor minus seven against Villanova. I really want to take Nova because they're playing with house money, but I just think Baylor defensively and without Gillespie is just going to eat their guards alive. I think Baylor wins by double digits. Give me Baylor laying the points. Yeah, I think it's really tough matchup for Nova without point guards. Uh, that being said, it just I have not been high on this Baylor team from the start feeling like they're going to slip up at some point. I don't think they'll lose this game, but I think it's going to be closer than seven. I'm just going to go Villanova plus seven because I feel like the spread's a little bit too big here. Saturday at 725, we got Oral Roberts playing against Arkansas. Arkansas is an 11 and a half point favorite. I'm, I'm riding with the Golden Eagles, baby. Give me the 11 and a hook. Again, really have no logic. Although I will say a lot of the, the story was Ace Mist and, and being the nation's leading scorer, but they've shown in the tournament, they got a couple other guys that can score it. And maybe it's just the tournament flukiness. Um, maybe it's people concentrate on Ace Mist, although he had really good games, but I'm, 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 taking, the, I'm taking the double digits. They, get, they move the ball up the court with the pass. I like the way they advance pass. It's fun to watch. Uh, Saturday, oh, who do, who you I, got? Got, I got Arkansas minus 11. Half, I get sorry. it. I yeah. get it. Uh, Saturday, 9.55, Syracuse and Houston. Houston is a six-point favorite. Houston's so good defensively, and they got enough shot makers against the zone. I I'm going to lay the points, um, but Syracuse has been really impressive. I I I'm laying the points. I think Houston wins this one by double figures because I do think they make enough shots, and I do think that they, they are good, good enough defensively to really cause Syracuse some problems. I love it. We are on opposite sides of every game so far. I'm Syracuse plus six here. Um my big concern coming into this tournament was Houston's offense and that they sometimes struggle to get good shots. Now, they granted, do. they have been shooting the ball pretty well, but I think this zone is the exact type of thing that can screw them up. 
the big concern for Syracuse is the lack of rebounding. They don't rebound well out of their zone, although they have been doing pretty well so far in the tournament, but typically they don't rebound well in the defensive end and Houston will beat you up on the glass. So that is the big concern there. But if Syracuse handles the glass, I think they've got a legitimate shot here and Buddy Bayheim is, is playing as well as anyone in the tournament. I'm going the Q's plus six. Yeah, and I got a future bid on Houston making the final four, so I've got a little rooting interest there too. Gotcha. So you're biased. Don't listen to Skinny yes, on that no one. question. No All question. Right, Sunday now we've got four games 210 Creighton Gonzaga the Zags are a 13 and a half point favorite man one of my bad beats of this tournament was I had Oklahoma getting 14 and a half and they crawled back within that number and it looked like they were going to comfortably stay inside the number and then came the crazy intentional foul at the end they had a shot to to get it back inside the number didn't make it lost by 16 I just thought that 14 and a half was too big I, I just don't know if there's any number that's too big for Gonzaga but I'm going to take Creighton in the points just because it just feels like it's just so many in an NCAA tournament game, 13 and a half. I'm going to regret this when it's 97, 80, the final, but I'm, I'm going to ride with the points in Creighton. I'm going to go Gonzaga to cover I, the 13 and a half. Yeah, real quick about Gonzaga too. And I, yeah, I've watched them in and out at times this year just because they play at odd times. And as I've talked about, you know, when I'm coaching usually, I just don't have a lot of time to watch. So I've watched their first two games fairly intently. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know how anybody beats them. I, they, they, have, they have so few empty trips offensively that you better, you better match up scoring wise. Cause they just, they're so efficient, effective and great offensively that they're putting up 90 on you. I mean, they're just going to do it. Yeah. And that's, I think everyone always looks at Creighton and the way they play and even their, their numbers on Ken Palm kind of suggest they're still a team that plays a little more up tempo and shoots a lot of threes and they do. But if you look at what they've done, especially in, in important games this year, they've really been more of a defensive-minded team. They've hit the under, I think, in every game so far in the NCAA tournament because they've just been playing slower and relying more on their defense. I I think they're going to have trouble keeping pace with Gonzaga's offense. I'm with you on that. And uh, Drew Timmy, too, inside. Gonzaga, when they're at their best, they're playing Christian Bishop, who's about six 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 seven at the five. They're playing that small lineup switch and everything. I think Timmy, you know, he just had 30 and 14, yeah. I think, last round. Yep. He's going to be a problem for them. So yeah. I'm going Zags. Sunday, 5 p.m., Florida State and Michigan. The Wolverines are favored by two in the hook. I faded Michigan coming into the tournament, probably regretfully so. But um, I've been on Florida State for a while, too. So I'm going to take the two and a half. Um I think Leonard gets the elite eight and finds a way to, to not get out of there, but um, I, I'm going to take them here. I, I, it's probably a stupid play, but I, I, it, again, I have really no logic other than I've liked Florida state all along. I've been fading Michigan since the start of the tournament and the livers injury did some of that, but I'll take Florida state in the two and a half. Yeah. I'm on the opposite again. I'm going Michigan two and a half. And it's for the other reason I've just been fading, fading Florida state the entire time. Uh, love MJ Walker, but I don't love Leonard Hamilton in the tournament. And it just feels like at some point they are uh, going to do what they do. So I'll take Michigan minus two and a half. We are on the opposite side in every game so far, which is unfathomable for us. Uh, Sunday, 715, we've got UCLA and Alabama. And I would assume we're probably on opposite sides of this one too. Yeah. And here's what's going to happen. It's one of two things. And I mean this sincerely. Alabama wins this by 20 or UCLA wins outright. Um, and I think UCLA is going to win outright because I just think at some point Alabama's style of play is going to catch up with them. Um, it's a fun style. It's been an effective style. They score in bunches. They are crazy fun to watch. But there's just going to be that day where they don't make those shots and the game of horse is going to be over. So I'm, gonna, I'm taking UCLA in an outright victory. So give me the six and a half in UCLA. No, we're well past the point of me coming away with any dignity. No question. I, yeah. It's not like I can bet on UCLA at this point. So yeah. I'm going Alabama minus six and a half. Yeah, simple enough. Yep. Sunday, 945. It's USC minus two against Oregon. What do you think? 
Tell you what, Oregon was really impressive in that Iowa game. I mean, especially offensively. They, they were. They, they, they got can a score. Bunch, they can score. Um, I just think USC is the better team. Um, I, need, need, no, no result here would surprise me. And obviously, the spread says that. So, again, again, just without throwing logic in there, I'm going to just go USC. They, they're, I think they're the better team. Um, they have the best player. They have the best player in Evan Mobley. And so I'm going to just ride the two-point spread. Uh, I, Oregon making a Final Four wouldn't shock me either. They're good, man. I don't love this Oregon team, but I, they did look great in that last game. And Now, the, is that because Iowa doesn't guard a soul and is terrible defensively? Partly, yes, yeah. partly. Uh, but I do have concerns about if they get hot from three against this USC team, USC does not shoot the three. Right. They have a couple guys that shoot a, a decent percentage, but they do not shoot a lot of threes. They're not a team that's going to make a big comeback if they get down early. So I, I like USC better. I'm taking USC minus two. But yeah, that this is a game I'm with you. It could go either way. Yeah, so you and I are on one game the same, the very last one we picked. Yeah, well, we're going to have good separation here yes. heading into the final weeks, considering we great. were uh, only two games apart here heading into this yeah. one. So Hate to see when you go uh, go one and seven and I go, uh, go eight and oh. Yeah, that'd be really bad. I, I hope that doesn't happen. All right. Let's get into some Ask Any Anything, and we'll start with an NCAA tournament topic. Someone wanted to know, what's your favorite NCAA tournament game ever? I'm surprised we didn't get this one last week. Um, I, I attended the, because uh, I was in college at the time, and, and they actually put tickets up for the lottery, um, was the Villanova-Georgetown final where Nova beat them in Rupp Arena. I mean, because A, it was such a monumental upset, and B, because I was there. Uh, so that, that one's an easy one for me. I think... I think I've got to go with Villanova, North Carolina in the finals. And yeah. The Chris Jenkins shot. It's just yeah. like, that was a great game the entire time. It's, you know, that was, that was on the other day. Get. That was on the other day on, on, I can't remember what network it was on. It was a replay of that game. And, and I, I caught the tail end of it. And I still look back at the final play and go, and even they're coming to the corner, like, oh, they're not going to get a shot off. They're not going to get a shot off. This They're taking too much time. I mean, they timed that so perfectly to this day. It's incredible. It's the most casual possession, but yes. it's also hilarious that it's become like the most popular way to get a shot off at the end of the game. Everyone yes. does that little yes. dribble handoff pitch back yep. thing now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what is Skinny's favorite and least favorite high school gyms he's been to? Oh, my favorite is the Mason County Fieldhouse by far. I it's mean, a it's great the, one. It's, it's a great one. It, it is. It is superb. Um, man, least favorite. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Eminence <laughs> because they didn't have Wi-Fi, and I had to drive to a McDonald's covering a tournament game, and had to write from the McDonald's and then hustle back for another tournament game. So Eminence, get your Wi-Fi fixed. Yeah, that's and, and for those of you listening to this, go find Eminence with a five-day head start and a roadmap. Good luck to you. I've never been to Eminence, fortunately. I've been to some crappy gyms, but the first one that jumps out in my mind is St. Pat's in Maysville. You know, right St. Pat's is very, very odd. It has back when the three point line came in. I was covering high schools down in Maysville at the time the three point line came in. If I remember right, and I hope my memory is not fuzzy on this, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. You could not shoot a three from the corner because the gym wasn't big enough to draw the line out to the corner. No, I'm pretty sure it's still that way. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I think I think I'm right on that. And then they got the stage at the end of it. Yes. Yeah. They've got like speakers coming off the wall and like kind of now, in the court of play. It's now some people will tell you Augusta, but Augusta is so quirky, unique that I love Augusta and you have to look it up yourself to see it. They, it's kind of like Augusta yep. for those that have been to Turner's. It's kind of like Tur Covington Turner's. Well, they host the uh, 10th region, 10th region tournament every now and then. And uh, that's how I saw it the first time when I had to cover 10th region tournament games. So yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. It's quirky, but I love it. I, I think, you know, Mason, Mason County is really hard to beat the field house. That might it be is. my favorite too. It's fabulous. Um, locally, like in our immediate area, Holmes is probably. I love Evans favorite. Fieldhouse. That, that's where they're playing the region this year, and that's where a lot of regional tournament games when I grew up were played because there was no BB and T Arena, so they usually rotated between Connor um, and Holmes to to have the regional tournament. And it's still, I, I, it, the, there's not a bad seat in the place. You can, you know, they they had a thousand or about a thousand fans last night because you can do about thirty percent of capacity, and it still rocked. And so back in the day when you filled that place up with thirty six hundred fans, it really rocks. So I'm with you. I I love the lighting. I love the shooting background. I love the ambiance. I'm kind of with you. If, uh, locally, that's probably my favorite. I think the two biggest home court advantages in Northern Kentucky are Holy Cross and Brossard. If I had to say, yeah, Brossard's gym is weird because they've got those doors outside, and when it gets you get that mixed temperature, I mean condensation. the condensation is just absurd on that floor. Absurd. Yeah, but it, for whatever reason, I just think those two teams are usually about ten points better on their home court, if not more, than they are elsewhere. That's probably a good call. I that's, it just seems like other teams struggle when they go in those two gyms. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Fortunately, there's no like Cincinnati. Do you got any Cincinnati answers for the Cincinnati people? You uh, well, a lot of games. I have. I, I will say almost every gym in the greater Miami conference, which is Oak Hills, the Lakotas, uh, Fairfield, Middletown, beautiful. I mean, college type gyms. Uh, if you've not seen a game at Middletown, it's, it's obscenely good. Uh, Hamilton's is beautiful. Um, I, I love their gym. All those gyms in the, in the, in, in that league are just off the charts. Terrific. I, I, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's a bad one or two I've been in. You know, back in the day, I remember George Jackson, he was coaching at Withrow. The poor guy would have to get a bucket out if it rained um, because it would leak on part of their their, their court. So I, I felt always felt for, for him there. So I'm, maybe that. But um, as far as nice gyms go, um, boy, those gyms are, are just absurdly nice. Someone did ask me, um, give us the best B Snow story you can tell. My, my colleague, Brian Snow. Yep. National analyst at 24-7 Sports, resigned yesterday. He's moving on, getting out of the media business. He, thanks to everything he did for me, because like for the last 12 years, he not only got me into the college basketball business, got me the Xavier site, and uh, helped me along with it, but he also created just tons of content for me and did a really good job of it. was super entertaining to interact with on the message board because he's stubborn, quirky dude. And I was going to say, and I, and, I, and, I, and I say this at all, at all, and I, I mean this in a nice way. So is he going to become a professional uh, Twitter troll? Because he's pretty good <laughs> at it right now. Well, like yourself, I, I think, you know, there are very few media members who are bluntly honest all the time and super opinionated. And uh, both of you guys do that pretty well. So I think there may be a reason that I've gravitated towards the both of you. But uh, the best piece of story I can tell, I've, I've racked my brain. I thought maybe something would come to it. I'll tell you what. I appreciate you asking, and I wanted to bring it up and thank B. Snow. I will save that for my Xavier podcast. Okay. I know this All is a Xavier person who's asking. I will try to think of a better B. Snow story. I can't think of any, at least any that I'm allowed to tell on air about him. Nothing good that stands out. I, I know you're looking for something funny here. I just can't think of it. I, I, I will tell you this. The few the, the few times he and I have gone back and forth on Twitter, I've just ended it with, I, okay, you're right. You're I'm wrong. Good enough. I mean, oh. he, he is not backing down, bro. He is just... It, and it's the only way good. to end uh, an argument with him or Chad Brendel, in my opinion. They both are, they just, they will never 
come off an inch. Right. Never give an inch. So, so yeah, I'm with you. I usually didn't try to stay out of arguments with either one of those two people, but uh, I think the last time I had an argument with him, I I, I even texted you and go, dude, I can't do that. I'm done. I just said, I'm done. You go, that's probably the right way to go with it. I just laughed because I was like, it took you too long to figure that out. I had to be done with it for about 10 years, but no, great guy. Uh, Just again, uh, the funniest thing about Brian Snow is you would never but especially with the opinions he gives and how freely he speaks of stuff, you would never know he's as well-connected as he is. I mean, right, you've right. got big-time college basketball coaches all across the country calling him constantly, asking him what they should be doing in terms of their recruiting plans. Right, so right. Uh, just a, a super-connected guy, a great resource for me and, and Xavier fans, and not just that, but Indiana, any anyone in this region that followed college basketball. All right, uh, this is the last one I got. Let me check Twitter to make sure there's nothing else here. Yeah, one more. Uh, they, uh, someone just asked, will Skinny be replacing Brian Snow at Musketeer Report? Trust me, I, I couldn't afford Brian because I didn't pay him and I can't afford Skinny either. Yeah, no, way, way out of your price range, my yeah. friend. Uh, what are you more afraid of? Snakes in a lake or sharks in the ocean? Snakes in a lake. Without a I, doubt. I, I rarely will go in. I, in fact, I can't tell you the last time I took a dip in a lake and I, I still will go in an ocean even if I mean, I know there might be a shark somewhere there. I, I, I'm not afraid of sharks. I'm leery in certain circumstances, because usually depending on where you go, there are some places where sharks are not a factor. And there are some places where hopefully they've put out the warning of beware, or at least I start looking around to beware, but it doesn't keep me from going in and body surfing and doing all those things. But in a lake, uh, uh-uh, Nope, not going to do it. Sorry. I'm with you hundred percent. I don't even think this is close. One, you feel like you have some control over the shark situation, which isn't true. Which isn't but true, it, but, but it feels like you could see a giant shark yes. coming up in the water, or you yes. feel like other people might be freaking out. You don't have, have to you get watched- that deep. You can stay kind of shallow, and maybe someone else will get eaten first. I always believe there's no way I'm lucky enough to get attacked by a shark. Dude, have you watched a water moccasin go across the top of, a, of, of, of water before? Yes. It's, it's a thousand terrible. miles an hour. Yes. It's paralyzing. And you can never see them. Here's right. the thing, like if a, if a water moccasin is in the water, you don't see it. You don't yes. know it's coming up on you. You can't see anything that's in a lake. Um, it's terrifying every time a fish comes up and nibbles on your oh, back no or bumps oh, into I, you. I, free, I, I, I freaked out in, in the ocean where you occasionally you get that or you, you touch a you touch a um, a shell. Um, that that scares me. But at the same time, it's it's not it's 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 not snake scry. It's just not. Yeah, I'm not I'm not like the. We're not really like an outdoorsy family necessarily, but we are Lake Cumberland slash Lake Norris family on my mom's side. We've kind of taken a family trip down there periodically. And every time you go sit in a life vest and just kind of float and drink your beers, there's just constantly like fish coming up and bumping into your back or nibbling at your feet or whatever. And it's like every time you're just a little leery. And I will admit, I'm not afraid of them. I mean, I get in freely, but I do think about snakes in a lake. I have never once considered like, oh, wonder if there's sharks here in the ocean or like yeah, I, I should be worried about. Yeah, that. yeah, that, that's exactly my mindset. And I will tell you, I'm just deathly afraid of snakes in general. And, and one of my favorite stories, um, my daughter was playing in a golf tournament back in high school. It wasn't a high school tournament, it was a summer tournament. They were playing at Flag Springs um, out in Campbell County. And one of the girls she was playing with, and I was usually pretty good about, I'd four caddy for kind of everybody to make, a, to make sure the pace of play kept going because no offense, girls have a hard time realizing where their golf ball goes. So I would go, yeah, you're here, you're here, you're here. Well, this girl hits one into the woods. So I saw kind of where it went. So I said, I think I got a line on your ball. Come with me. Let's go see if we can find it. I asked her, what are you playing? She told me, I said, so let's see if we see this. And all of a sudden, 
it moved in the brush right about two steps from where we were walking. She turned around and screamed like a girl. And guess what? I think I screamed louder like a girl. And we both ran out of those woods like we were both about to be shot. And everybody's laughing, going, what's going on? I said, there's a snake in there. And I'm sorry, I'm not going back in. I really wish someone had cell phone footage on you on that day. The lesson I learned is I then from that point forward, always carry something with me, whether it be a big stick or even a club, something just in case. Yeah. See, that's uh, that's a good move. You got to bring if you're if you're moving around brush, because I do the same thing with like the disc golf. I'll throw it in, goes into the woods. If I'm moving anything that's on the ground to look. I'm I'm using a sticker. Uh, no, no question. Yeah, some sort. But no I, I, I bring the dog a lot now and just be like, go find that for me. Yeah, exactly. In the woods. And that's a great move. Exactly. Because that, yeah. that, that snake's damn afraid of that dog. I can yeah. guarantee you. Train your dog to find golf balls. That'd be great. Yeah, I don't know if you're allowed too. to bring golf ball or dogs on a golf course. That might be illegal. Yeah, you know what, though? If it's one of those, what is it? A uh, you, you service know, dog. A comfort service dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can do that. So there we go. Yeah. There you go. I appreciate that's everybody's questions as always. Uh, thanks to Rick. We'll be back. Uh, you know, we were going to do the college basketball podcast Sunday, but it makes no sense. So we're going to have to figure out the next time to do the college basketball podcast. We still have a season wrap up kind of to do, or maybe we'll do one before the, the championship game, just because this Sunday, um, we still got two regional tournament games. So we'll try to figure that out. Uh, but we'll be back again next week with our, our weekly podcast. For Rick Goring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope for edition. edition.